Well, the, the reading from today is, uh, is from John 4. Um, it's a little on the long side, but let's uh, have a read. It's about uh, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. And it says this, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and, uh, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town, of Samaria, a town in Samaria called <coughs> Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as he did his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming and drawing water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, 
I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits for their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the saviour of the world. Let's pray before we come to God's Word. Father, we thank you for this incredible encounter we find in John's Gospel, chapter 4. The transformation that took place in this Samaritan woman's life as a result of encountering you, experiencing your grace in her life, and the way she was propelled to go back to her village and tell others about you. And people were saved. What an awesome story this is, Lord. Certainly one that many of us are familiar with. Help us not to just gloss over it, but to dig deep into it today and to see what you might be saying to us as a church community as we seek to join you on your mission in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the early pages of John's Gospel, we find Jesus deeply immersed in his own Jewish culture, ministering to his own people in his own language, uh, familiar with the cultural and religious heritage. For example, in John chapter 1, Jesus chooses 12 disciples, all Jewish. In John chapter 2, after attending a very Jewish wedding, Jesus then cleanses the temple In Jerusalem, the temple was the core identity of a Jew. Uh, And then in John chapter 3, Jesus sits down with a Pharisee, one of Israel's teachers, to talk about deep matters 
of faith. Jesus is a Jew. He is working amongst his own people, challenging them for sure, but nonetheless focused on and within that culture, that language, and his own people and their traditions. In John 4, however, Jesus' direction changes dramatically. We find Jesus on the move as he travels from the Jewish heartland to the region of Samaria, a marginal area. The transition between chapters 3 and 4 is not only geographical. Jesus crosses all kinds of boundaries of culture, ethnicity, gender, and social convention to the amazement of all. The dramatic change of direction is highlighted in the stark difference between the two individuals Jesus interacts with in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. In chapter 3, we see Jesus engaging with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, learned, theologically trained, upright, with social standing. In chapter 4, we see Jesus at a well in Samaria with a divorced woman, a woman who is unnamed, a woman who was a social outcast. The polarity between these two could not be greater. So how did Jesus get from uh, chapter 3 to chapter 4, from one person to the other? What took place? How did such that, a radical step of mission take place? Well, in John 4, verses 1 to 4, the story Begins. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Because of a history of conflict, Jews avoided Samaritans. But here we see Jesus choosing to go through Samaria on his way back to Galilee. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot ground, plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. In these verses, we see a beautiful glimpse of the reality of the incarnation. Here in Jesus, God joins people who get tired and thirsty and need a drink. It's a very simple picture of Jesus who'd been journeying in the hot weather, needing some refreshment. Here is the creator of the universe needing a drink. It's just a beautiful picture of the incarnation. As we explore this fascinating encounter in John 4, what can we learn from Jesus' words and actions and his disposition towards the Samaritan woman as he offers her water, living water? And what are the implications for us, both as individuals and as a church community, as we seek to do mission in the Jesus-shaped way? The first thing to note is that we serve a barrier-crossing God. Our God crosses the barrier of heaven to earth in order to reach us. Jesus is, as Peterson puts it in the message version of John 1.14, God moving into our neighborhood. And here we have a poignant image of that. 
We rejoice that in Christ, God has come to us, entered into human history, and made himself known in a unique way. Yet here too, we see a pattern for mission, one that seeks people where they are, one that is prepared to go out of one's way, one that is prepared to sit with people in their thirst, to meet people where they are and offer light and life. What we have here is a story of incarnational ministry. And incarnational ministry is ministry in the way of Jesus. Jesus took on flesh and blood. He took on a physical body so that he could come and live among us. Incarnational ministry is going to where people are, understanding who they are, understanding what makes them tick, understanding their culture, their language, their values, and from that place, having a platform to be able to then share. In Christ, we have a God who has gone to remarkable measures to make himself known, who shares in the basic human experiences of heat and hunger, and thirst so he can meet us and satisfy our hunger and our thirst. To follow him in mission means to go to where people are and share life with them where they are. Though Jesus' incarnation is unique as he is the unique son of God, his pattern of going to people and engaging with them on their turf is what we are called to faithfully replicate as his ambassadors in his world. Now, it's all good and well to read John 4 and to hear about this story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. But I wonder, where are the wells in our community? Where are the wells in your week? And by that, I mean, where are the places where people gather where people have a common need, a common interest. Can you think of where the wells are for you? Maybe it's at the shopping centre. Maybe it's at the school gate where the parents stand around and wait to collect their children. Maybe it's a sporting team. Uh, Maybe it's a cafe that you frequent regularly or a restaurant. But we need to become mindful and aware of where those wells are and how we might see ourselves behaving and making ourselves available for people in those spaces, just as Jesus did. Not only did Jesus cross the physical barrier of heaven to earth, but here in this story we see him crossing boundaries of gender, ethnicity, social equality, uh, racial animosity and religion to find us. The story continues in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
As the text tells us, a Samaritan woman came alone in the heat of the day to fetch water. Both of these factors would definitely strike the original reader as something odd and unusual because women customarily went to fetch water in groups for safety and for shared labour within their community. They also routinely went to bucket water in the early hours of the day when the sun was not so hot, when it was cooler. But here we see a woman by herself in the middle of the day in the heat. And in an honour-shame culture, women who travelled to the well in the middle of the day usually did so because of moral failure, perhaps disability, uncleanness or social exclusion. And Jesus will now bring to light the reasons for her isolation. But there are other narrative cues hinting towards us that everything is not well. As the Samaritan arrives at the well, Jesus as a Jew, as a rabbi, as a man requested a drink. The woman's startled response in verse 9 suggests that this is a non-traditional request. Certainly would be fine nowadays, but back then it was very uh, unlikely. And she was taken aback that he, as a Jewish man, would address her as a Samaritan woman. In making the request, Jesus crossed several boundaries. Oftentimes, in order to reach people who are far from God, several barriers or boundaries need to be crossed. Global interaction sends cross-cultural workers, just like the Houston and Dennis families, to people where the message of Jesus is not known. This means crossing barriers and learning the culture and language so as to build relationships with those people on their terms, on their side. Global interaction is committed to entering their world to empower people to develop their own distinct ways of following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to follow the one who takes the initiative to cross cultural, ethnic and religious barriers. Jesus had a torrent of barriers to cross, yet he found the crossing by engaging with the woman, by using a shared experience of thirst. And I wonder again, in our community and context, what shared experiences might open up the possibility of crossing seemingly resistant barriers so as to point people to the living water of Jesus. Two questions that may be helpful when seeking to engage someone who you're aware of has no faith background could include, do you have any spiritual beliefs? It's a non-confronting question that could open up a conversation. Another question you could pose or a statement is, I am a praying person. Is there something I could be praying for you about? Those questions may be helpful. There may be others. But when you find yourself in that place where there is a common interest, an opportunity may present itself. Jesus uses this common longing for water as a bridge to move the conversation to matters 
of greater depth. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus hints that there is a life-nourishing gift that can only come from God, and it comes through him. It is living water. It is the gift of his spirit. The living water that Jesus gives truly quenches the soul's deepest thirst. It brings birth, renewal, hope, healing, washing, celebration, and forgiveness. The Samaritan woman desperately wants this water. So she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is the source of living water for Jews and Samaritans and the eventual healing of all the nations. In Jesus, we have the most precious gift we can share with anyone, the one who gives life, the one who satisfies the deepest thirst of our soul, washing away sin, cleansing, purifying, offering relationship with God. People who don't have Jesus in their lives have an unsatisfied or an unquenched thirst. How might we offer them the life-changing water of Jesus? May our church and our lives be a wellspring of spiritual water that becomes available to those around us who are thirsty. God's gift of Jesus is life-transforming for people of all cultures. Having made the offer of the gift of living water, Jesus gently unveiled his knowledge of the Samaritan woman's past. In verses 16 to 18, Jesus reveals the extent of his knowledge of her story. He is already aware that she's had five husbands and is currently living with a man who is not her husband. This is quite incredible that Jesus has this knowledge. Now, the text does not tell us the story of each broken relationship, though it is likely that in each case, the men in her life had broken off the marriages, as women had no cultural right to initiate divorce proceedings. What is clear, though, is that although the men in her life had chosen to repeatedly reject her, rejected her, she had ended up with another husband. She was thirsty. She was searching And she had most likely suffered deep wounds as a result of sin, both her own sins and the sins of many men. Her string of broken marriages, whether through divorce, abandonment, promiscuity, or because her husbands may have died, would have left a woman who was longing for her deepest soul thirst to be met by anyone or anything other than God. With each divorce her position became more vulnerable and her social status increasingly diminished. And living within the context of an honour-shame culture, she had spent all her social capital on these relationships to the point where she was willing to live with the shame of being in a de facto relationship in a culture where this simply did not happen. Thus, we find the reason for her being out at the well by herself at noon. Jesus knows this about her, and he wants her to know that he knows. He wants her to know 
that he knows her past and yet he still is willing to engage and offer her grace. Jesus reveals to her that even though her life is a mess, even though she is covered in shame, she is still worthy to receive living water. She is not too far gone for God. Though she may have given up on herself, God has not given up on her. This is a message that resonates with so many people, that needs to resonate. Christ has not given up on her. He loves her still. Jesus hints that to drink from him, to receive his water that wells up to eternal life, she will need to lay down some of the other water that she's been drinking. It's very difficult to drink from two cups at the same time. She will need to give up the search for meeting her deepest needs in men that will only disappoint her and turn to Jesus, who will do anything but disappoint her. Jesus transformed this Samaritan woman. He wants to transform your life. Just like the woman in this story, he knows. He knows our past. He knows our history. He doesn't use it to shame us. He actually uses it to show us his great love. That A, he knows us so intimately, and B, he doesn't condemn us. He invites us to come and drink from his pool of living water. Now, after having this confronting and vulnerable conversation, the story takes quite a dramatic turn. The woman, absolutely convinced now that Jesus is the Messiah, leaves her jar behind, rushes back to her village to go and tell people about this Jesus. I think it's pretty cool that the first evangelist, the first missionary in John's gospel is a divorced Samaritan woman. If you know anything about that culture and that context, this is the most unlikely person to go and witness for Christ. And the amazing thing is because of the power of this woman's testimony, people's lives are transformed. People get saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, where are the wells in our community? What are the common interests? Where are those areas of thirst where we can relate to people and share with them? And those opportunities arise to be able to share the living water that Jesus offers. I gave you a couple of questions that may be of help. But the model for mission has been set. God crosses all kinds of barriers to come to us. He meets us where we are at. And he knows about us. He doesn't use that knowledge to shame or to make us feel bad or guilty. He uses that knowledge to show us how deeply he loves us, how much he's committed to us. And he invites us to put down the other cup or the other well that we've been drinking from that never satisfies. In this case, for the woman, it was men. But for each of us, there may be other things that we sink ourselves into to try and satisfy our deepest yearnings and longings. 
they will only be found in Jesus and in receiving his living water. So may we, as God's people, be committed to doing mission in the way of Jesus, a way that involves meeting people where they are at, showing them love and grace, and then offering them the living water of Jesus. We're going to now listen to a a special item as we continue to reflect on how we might be people who have both received the living water of Jesus, but also a people who are committed to inviting others to receive the living water. Thanks, team.